Welcome to Twig's SE Reflections, a podcast series meant for students and practitioners of the somatic and psychobiologically based therapies. This is a venue for me to share informal, off-the-top thoughts and meditations about what I do and don't do as a somatic therapist and consultant, a kind of intellectual oasis. Feel free to join the conversation, pass the word around, ask me a question or two. More information at liberationispossible.org backslash SE Reflections. Let's see what happens next. Something I'd like to look at here with you is the difference between continuous and intermittent tracking. Now, this plays a part in several different phases of the arousal cycle and different areas of sessions. It also plays a central role in how we think about what our clients are capable of doing at any one time. And for us to try to manage or facilitate their attention to the right extent to where their attention is neither too much nor too little with an experience, but more in that kind of area of just right. One of the hallmarks of this continuous or intermittent tracking is the recognition that what attention does, what tracking does, is multifaceted. It helps to both integrate experience at the sensory motor level It also helps to potentiate experience at the sensory motor level so that we're, quote, able to feel more as we pay attention more. That has great value in helping to stimulate the system in order to get things moving at the involuntary level. It also comes along with the challenge that should we get the system moving too much, the variety or the the kind of the magnitude of incomplete processes can start to get going and therefore call the attention beyond or into the range of the realm of heightened or more activation than a person can attend to at any one moment. With that, we need to kind of balance how much we're asking or how much we're permitting sometimes a client to be able to pay attention to their internal experience. And sometimes we're asking for more of that. And sometimes we're definitely asking for less of that. And the difference here can be kind of broadly placed in these two categories of continuous or intermittent tracking. Now, as we move forward into this conversation, let me propose that there's a certain range, this range of just right or the area where where the attention is sufficiently, let's say, capable of attending to itself. I sometimes draw this as two horizontal parallel lines. That creates then three fields. Below the lower line, that's the range where things aren't enough. There's not enough attention or enough sensation, enough element of the experience for a person to pay attention to yet. Then there is the in-between space between the horizontal lines, the middle field, and that's the range where things are appropriate or capable or I can feel this, I can pay attention to this. There's enough both of the element and enough free attention, and it's not overwhelming or disquieting to such an extent that I can't continuously pay attention to it. Above that line, the top of the parallel lines, is the field where, for whatever reason, it's too much. I don't have enough attention, enough free attention to feel this much sensation or this much noise. Or the noise is simply just too great that even if I have a broad sense of attention, there is more going on than I can pay attention to or that I feel comfortable paying attention to. 
Now, of course, the more distress a person has, the narrower this band in the middle is and tends to be that it's lower, meaning that on something like the graph of activation, the range of okayness, I can do this, becomes narrower and it comes down so that as I start to feel myself, I very quickly start to feel more than I can let myself feel or more than my practitioner should allow me to be able to feel because it's essentially going to lead to overwhelm and therefore kind of condition me or recapitulate the sense that things are beyond my containment and beyond my control. So given this range, there's the desire of the practitioner to learn how to read the range where they notice, oh, you know, the, whatever I'm about to ask about, that sensation of, of warmth in their chest or the, um, the sense of being mad, it's not enough yet. It's below that lower line. And it would be better for me to, as the practitioner, to withhold my question. Can you notice that right now? Can you notice that sense of anger right now? Because the answer is more likely to return a no. So in that case, I'm holding back until it potentiates enough the experience potentiates enough that the person will be able to attend to it. At the same time, as the, as the intensity of that experience becomes higher and reaches the edge of that upper threshold of how much I can pay attention to, it behooves the therapist, the practitioner, to start to kind of balance the attention oftentimes inward and out. It could be inward between two different or multiple different elements of the experience. But it is probably between out and in, or in and conversation, meaning a kind of out with the practitioner. That is an attempt to kind of say, don't continue to potentiate this so much by paying so much attention to it. Instead, balance that attention in and out so that we're able to stay inside of that range of, I can pay attention to this. The reading of that range is central to the awareness of, should I be supporting, asking for, encouraging continuous tracking? Or should I be doing intermittent tracking here, where we say, notice what's happening for a moment, find out that we're able to do that, but should we pay any more attention to it, it's going to become too much. In that case, we should be moving the attention out. We should be talking about something like the weather, a movie that we recently saw. Kathy Kane has a famous line of doing movie reviews, talking about the latest movie that you might have seen. Or again, the gift of gab, as Peter Levine might call that. Stephen Hoskinson, I'm really touched by his capacity to do storytelling in here, where he comes in and starts telling a story. I tend to use learning points in here. I usually talk about the effort that we're involved in or the reason that we do things the way that we do things in somatic experiencing sessions. Whatever you talk about, whatever you do, the point is that you're going to touch in and come out, touch in and come out, touch in and come out at the appropriate rhythm for the client system so that we don't drop below the line that says, I can't feel it because it's not potentiated enough by experiencing it, but we don't stay inside so long that we potentiate it beyond the scale or the scope of what we can pay attention to. Within that range, it kind of identifies how much should I stay inside paying attention to something as continuous tracking, and how much should I be doing intermittent tracking where over time, two minutes, five minutes, in 10 second increments, in two-minute increments, in 20-minute increments if necessary, 
How often, I don't know, the frequency is determined by the capacity of the client. The goal, however, being that we go in and touch the experience intermittently and then come out by giving space of the attention so that it doesn't continue to potentiate by feeling itself. So there are a number of places that this becomes a practice. Simulated pendulation is one of them, right? Where we do this kind of attention out, in, out, because we recognize people with global high activation, should they be requested or should they even have the tendency on their own to kind of pay attention to themselves, it tends to ever increase. It just continues to increase the activation rather than what we would hope for, which is that I feel the activation, it hits a certain threshold or peak, and then it starts to turn and change and deactivate. And then it has that cyclic nature of going up and coming down, going up and coming down. With global high activation, the nature, of course, is that rather than hitting that peak and coming down, I miss that peak and I continue to rise up. In that way, it becomes one of our practices to remind the system that change is possible. And so we do this simulated pendulation, as some of us call it, where we bring the attention out, bring the attention in, bring the attention back out before it has long enough to stay inside that it potentiates that experience of going up, 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 up again. So global high activation is one of the places that we do that. Another place we do this is in deactivation, in the, in the area of the session where we're concentrating on deactivation, where a person has gone through a um, kind of a discrete episode of the stress response, right? They've felt the rising tension, they've, they've had their teeth become tight, their jaw clenching, their fist tightening, and now it's starting to change and things are starting to loosen up, they're starting to lighten up. In this deactivation area, you know, there's, there's a deviation. Uh, Stephen Hoskinson has a really nice way that he names this out, where people have a failure to complete the deactivation process, or they, there's another way to say that, where people deviate from completing that deactivation cycle by going back up again. In other words, I'm feeling the deactivation. Things might be getting quieter, but what's also happening is that my primary experience is continuing to feel noise. You know, the sign of deactivation might be that a little bit of my muscles are getting loose or my breath is getting a little bit easier. But the truth is the majority of my experience is still rather loud. My muscles overall are still more tense than less tense. Should I continue to feel that tension and that deactivation is, stays at a minimal level, it could very well just tell me to go back up. More so, a lot of us are conditioned, I was one of these myself again, where if I was deactivating, I felt like something bad was going to happen. So that gave me a signal and instruction. Don't let down your guard. Go back up where you feel like you're on guard and protecting yourself. The answer to that is to move toward intermittent tracking rather than trying to continuously stay with the experience of deactivation. Instead, to notice the deactivation, to name it as it were. How do you notice that? What do you notice about it getting a little quieter? And once it's been identified and some level of itself has been addressed and observed to then bring the attention back out. Great. Maybe we just feel that for a moment, Twig. Maybe we just feel how that is like that. And then at the same time, we're going to just take a pause from paying too much attention to it. And instead, we're going to take a look around. Or 
All right. So you notice that. And then also, what are you going to be doing this weekend? Anything, in other words, to get the attention to notice itself, notice the organism, and then come away from paying attention to the organism. And then again, intermittently, two minutes later, 20 seconds later, 20 minutes later, depending on how flammable or sensitive the system is to attention to itself, we come back in and we check in again. We say, how about now? It's the same or it's different. Continuing to get quieter, not so much so changed in some way, what do you notice now? Now that all being said, since paying attention to ourselves is integrating, on some level we're looking for and we're interested in being able to pay attention to ourselves as much as is possible. I think about this as trying to maximize how much we're able to pay attention to ourselves while minimizing the opportunities or the, the likelihood that when we pay attention to ourselves, it's going to increase or over-increase the activation again, where we'll no longer be able to track it through its rhythmic cycle of activation, deactivation, up, down, tightness, release, those kind of things. In that way, if a person has the free attention or the activation is mild and contained or and again here, not contained in the sense of being held, contained in the sense of being capable of being able to pay attention to itself. If we have those conditions, then we are very, very interested in letting a person continuously track. Oh, so you notice that as it starts to vibrate now, as it starts to move your arm now, and you can feel that in the person, you can clearly watch and say, wow, they are capable of feeling that and things aren't reigniting, but instead they are diminishing. That's a good example of when you want to support and encourage continuous tracking. Perhaps even deep, truly subtle energy continuous tracking where I am entirely paying attention to this experience without care of what movie I might see or what might happen this weekend. All there is is right now me paying attention to this. If you ask people with highly sensitive and like uh, flammable nervous systems where the system is ready to reignite itself, if you ask them to continuously track, you are asking them to ignite the entirety of the system. That's a time where you want to do intermittent tracking, perhaps very, very, very discreet and spacious intermittent tracking, where the majority of the time is away from their experience and we're only briefly touching into their experience before coming back out again. On the other side of the spectrum, where the system has durability, capacity, I don't mean durability in the sense that it's repetitive. That's another time that I use the word durability. I mean in this case that it's durable. I'm able to experience myself. I have the structure necessary for that. I have the awareness that things change and I don't get afraid of the way things are right now because I know that they're going to change. These kind of statements of I can, I'm capable of noticing these changes as they happen and allowing these changes to happen as they happen. That's a time when we can say, you know what, there's nothing as the practitioner that I actually have to do here. I can let this person track as much as they can. I can let them continuously notice one moment leading to the next moment. So with this, there are multiple studies to be made here. They all revolve around and help with this idea between continuous and intermittent tracking. Let me name a few of these. 
There's the judgment process of the I can range of attention. How much attention does this person have? Is what they're paying attention to sufficiently interesting to them? And at the same time, is it not so upsetting to them that they can't continue to pay attention to it? And within the range of yes, I can, should they have a more continuous style of attention with it or should it be more intermittent? So having the judgment of being able to see all of those things together, that's one study. There's the ability of attention to potentiate experience, being like, how do I invite a person to pay more attention to something or less attention to something so as to strengthen its signal or diminish its signal? So there's the issue of potentiation with attention. If I ask more questions about it or if I ask less questions about it, if I ask more specific questions about things, where is it? How is it? What's it doing now? Or if I say something more like, oh, you feel that and you also notice other things. What do you notice in general? Whether or not you become more specific or general is one example of how you potentiate or diminish attention on something. Then there's also the ability to see the changing capacity of a person in the present moment so that your assessment of their I can range of attention is able to change as they are able to change so that somebody who can't pay attention to something for a very long period of time at one moment as they become more comfortable doing Well, actually, because they are invited to do intermittent tracking, intermittent attention, it tends to be that they're able to expand how long they can stay inside as they get more practice and experience with feeling themselves and as some of the signal starts to complete itself or as their general activation starts to come down with the completion of self-protective responses and these kind of past incomplete sensory motor instructions. All of those things come to play in changing a person's capacity, even minute to minute sometimes, definitely session to session at times, and our ability to notice a person's increased participation, freedom of attention, these kind of signals or signs to us helps us to start to change. Oh, now we can start moving more toward continuous tracking as compared to staying quite so focused on intermittent tracking. So that's another aspect. There's also the study of how to fluidly facilitate the movement of attention from in to out so you don't seem to be contradicting yourself or sending contradictory messages of, in this room we allow things to happen, but then at the same time, I'm not actually going to allow you to continue to pay attention to this for very much longer. There are times when you are absolutely helping to facilitate where a person pays attention to, and at times that's contradictory to the idea that we're just going to, quote, trust the body or allow the body's wisdom to do its thing. Sometimes if you just allow the body's wisdom to do its thing, you can trust it to do exactly what it's been doing, which is actually why people are coming for help. They don't want to do what it's been doing. That's been distressing. So you have to start putting in a different signal or helping to find a new signal, and that means a redirection of attention sometimes. Consequently, getting smooth at helping to move a person's attention one way or another so that you're not creating the environment where you're constantly telling people what to do, but you're moving toward the environment that says, in here we're going to allow things to happen. That's largely a function of getting our languaging and our our kind of curiosity toward how we facilitate questions, how we ask certain questions so as to help people start to move their attention in one direction or another. 
That's another study that comes right in here as far as helping to determine or helping to utilize either intermittent or continuous tracking. The study of fluidly helping to move a person's attention from one place to another. Then there's also the issue of being interesting enough that you can call a person's attention in a different direction without being heavy-handed about it. Heavy-handed happens sometimes, and sometimes you just have to be blatant. And of course, some practitioners just have a personality that is more blatant. And some of us have a personality that's more Ericksonian, where we kind of redirect attention a little bit more behind the scenes. Both of them are fine, totally fine, and one of them has a tendency to be more directive. And ultimately, what we're hoping for is that the movement of a person's session is going to come out of them. So ideally, we're not being heavy-handed. Ideally, we're, we're moving toward more and more permission, more and more empowerment for the client's process. There's also the study of the idea that sometimes in different phases, different parts of our sessions, different areas of the stress response, that continuous or intermittent tracking are more appropriate in one phase or another. Stabilization for global high activation is served really well by intermittent tracking and not well by continuous tracking person with sincere global high activation, if you find something positive for them to feel and you ask them to just go ahead and just just feel that, then actually you'll get exactly what we saw with Nancy in Waking the Tiger, right? You could have a time of settling and then the system saying, don't let go, don't settle down and go back up. You could have a paradoxical reaction that a positive thing actually leads to a negative thing. It's very, very common with global high activation. And therefore, intermittent tracking, rather than continuously feeling something, but instead touching something and then bringing the attention out and coming back in and checking, is that something the same or different later? That's more of the appropriate pattern, generally speaking, for global high activation. Of course, as our clients change and they become more adept with things, then we start to do more continuous tracking, even perhaps with global high activation, if the conditions show themselves that that's going to work. On the other hand, there are other parts of the renegotiation process where continuous tracking is almost by definition necessary. For instance, freeze, freeze immobility, that phase really requires a continuous tracking with attention to see what's happening next, to watch one thing as it moves to the next thing from a very passive direction. And no question about it, intermittent tracking has more doing in it and freeze immobility has more passive allowing in it. So it tends to be that in freeze and mobility, we want to have the capacity for continuous tracking. Sometimes, of course, we do dip into freeze and then we come back out and we could consider that intermittent in this case, particularly if we go back in and we see if the desire for the freeze state is the same a few moments later or if it's somehow lighter or even heavier. Nevertheless, more than less, continuous tracking is the dominant style that we use during freeze immobility. So different parts of the process are served better by intermittent or continuous tracking. So there are, there are still more studies that we can come up with that just come right out of these ideas, but all of them are nice to hold the question or to help us reflect around how long should I stay directly in this experience, or better said, how long should I invite or permit or encourage my client to stay directly in relationship to this experience? Whether it's felt to be a positive experience or a negative experience, a good or a bad sensation or feeling or image or whatever... How long should I encourage them to stay directly in relationship to it? 
And if the answer is not very long, maybe the idea is rather than thinking, oh, this person can't track, it's more to say, oh, what this person needs is intermittent tracking. So what we're going to do is check in on this element of their experience over time. But in between those moments of checking in, we're going to be bringing the attention towards something else, either as a completely not related element of experience, um, like I was saying, like a movie review at the far extreme, I suppose, or some other element of something that's happening right now for them. In all cases, whether it's continuous tracking or intermittent tracking, primarily what we're interested in is what's the same and what's different. As we move forward, what do you notice next? What do you notice now? That's all about tracking changes. And if we're keeping in mind, what we're trying to do is track changes at the level that the person can participate with, then we're, we're definitely headed in the right direction. So I think that's where I'm going to wrap this up for today. We can come back to this as time goes on and you can you can go into your sessions maybe this week and say to yourself, you know, at this moment with this person, should I really be inviting them to pay more attention to this? Or should I simply acknowledge that this is happening and then see if we can pay attention to something else and come back and see if that thing which was happening is the same or if it's different? Okay, this is another Twigs SE Reflection. Be in touch with me as you like. Send me an email, a question that I can reflect on this blog with, and uh, we'll see what happens next. Okay, take good care. 